Hello and welcome to episode 251 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. So how's your week been? Mine has been somewhat challenging on the Facebook group front, to say the very least, isn't it always? Anyway, moving on rapidly, the good news is that the first crime book from Crime Publishing Network is finally released tomorrow. The New Millennium Serial Killer by Chris Clark and Bethan Truman, all about the unsolved crimes of Christopher Halliwell. Take a look, just go to crimepublishingnetwork.com. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters at Patreon, especially the new members of this most exclusive club, that's Sarah Peace and David Hellowell. Thank you both so much for your support. Today's episode is sponsored by Calm. If you've been dreaming about a beach getaway, but you're nowhere near the ocean, you may need to get creative. With Calm, you can listen to the relaxing sounds of the waves and give yourself a break wherever you are. I'm partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. Clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. And if you go to calm.com slash truecrimeuk, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming, and new content is added every week. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. And for listeners to this show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion, 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash truecrimeuk. Go to calm, C-A-L-M, dot com slash truecrimeuk for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash truecrimeuk. Okay, let's take a few moments to quickly set some context for today's story with our guest, the month and year game. Top of the UK charts was Rage Against the Machine with Killing in the Name. In the US, Jay-Z and Alicia Keys topped the charts with their tribute to Star Wars, Empire State of Mind. And in the Australian album charts, another rapper was top of the pile for five weeks with I Dreamed a Dream, that was Susan Boyle. This month saw Barack Obama pick up the Nobel Peace Prize for... Sorry, I can't seem to read my own writing while he got this prize. No doubt it was hugely deserved. Former Wales and Lions captain Gareth Thomas was the first international rugby player to reveal that he was gay. The Ministry of Defence announced the death in Afghanistan of a soldier from the 1st Battalion, the Royal Anglican Regiment, taking the number of British troops killed there in this year alone to 100. Terry Wogan presented his final breakfast show on BBC Radio 2 and in UK True Crime News, nursery worker Vanessa George was jailed after admitting to seven sexual assaults and six counts of making and distributing indecent pictures of children. Did you get the month and year? It was December 2009. Have you been to Glasgow recently? Since I've lived in Edinburgh this last 20 months or so, I've really enjoyed getting to know Glasgow too. It's an amazing city on so many levels, and today's podcast is from there. Cranhill is an inner city district to the northeast of Glasgow. The area has sadly been, well, infamous for its illegal drug trade and the antisocial youth culture, often being dubbed Smack City in the media. 
Cranhill's history is a relatively short one, being built in the 50s on the outskirts of the city in an attempt to alleviate the post-war housing shortage. The area was a small one in comparison to some of its similar counterparts, such as Castle Mill or Drum Chapel. But Cranhill was still densely populated due to the large number of tenements, tower blocks and maisonettes. Regressively, it appeared that it took the death of a 13-year-old boy named Alan Harper, who died from a heroin overdose, to become Britain's youngest drugs victim to initiate change. A local councillor led an organisation named Mothers Against Drugs, who staged a 400-strong candlelit procession in a bid to reclaim the area. Meetings were held which actively thrust this movement for change onto the nation's front pages. And eventually Cranhill became unrecognisable from the drugs that had plagued it for years. And today most of the original housing stock has been demolished and the area has undergone extensive redevelopment. But in the Christmas period of 2009, the local community were left stunned by the ghastly murder of a resident, which slammed Cranhill straight back into the focus of the media, having worked so hard to detach itself from the negative connotations that had so persistently besieged it. The fact that the murder occurred on Christmas Day. So much for peace and goodwill to all men. 63-year-old widow Hannah Smith lived in a fourth-floor flat in Cranhill's Sutra Place. Hannah herself had suffered firsthand the pain that the world of drugs abuse can cause a family when her daughter Tracy died of an overdose of prescription drugs in 2003. Christmas is, of course, a renowned holiday season with, well, pre-COVID, staff parties seemingly crammed into every bar, and please can we see more of that this Christmas, and the saunas of Rochdale full of those festive revellers enjoying the delights of the season. Yet paradoxically, of course, it's also a period for many of quiet reflection, particularly towards those we've loved and lost. On Christmas 2019, by the evening, Hannah was inside her flat. Shortly after 10pm, she answered a knock at the door. Assuming it was one of her granddaughters, Nicole or Charlene, she duly answered as Christmas Day is perhaps quite literally the one day of the year when the more sociable among us can expect visitors of any type, family members, neighbours, friends, or perhaps even an impromptu carol singer or two. Sadly for Hannah Smith, the late night caller was none of the above. From the confines and comfort of her own flat, Hannah was the victim of a prolonged knife attack of such savagery it defied belief. In the busy days that followed Christmas Day, relatives attempted unsuccessfully to make contact with Hannah, becoming increasingly concerned. One of Hannah's granddaughters called the Strathclyde Police Force, who swiftly attended the flat. Shortly after 6pm, officers forced the door, and as they opened it, the smell that greeted them indicated the terrible sight they were shortly to see. In the living room, Hannah's body lay in a pool of blood, having clearly been the victim of a prolonged, sustained and vicious attack. Those on the scene would never forget the sights and smells of that day. Officers immediately began carrying out high-visibility patrols whilst the specialist forensic and support teams began performing their own extensive search operation. Locals debated what was going on as the fleet of police vehicles remained at the scene, 
as officers patrolled the paths which linked the three tower blocks in the hope that they may make a rapid breakthrough. There was, though, in the initial aftermath of the horrible crime, no clear motive whatsoever. The sheer brutality of this killing just did not make any sense at all. Hannah's brother, James, spoke about this when he explained to reporters that he had no idea why his sister had been murdered, and he pleaded for help to find her killer, saying, She had a few good friends she liked to have a wee drink with, but she had no enemies. I can't believe this has happened. She didn't have anything to justify killing her for, and I'm under the impression that nothing was stolen, so I'm mystified. I'm sure someone must know something that will catch the killer, and I want them to come forward and tell police anything they know. Leading the investigation was Detective Chief Inspector Ian Cunningham, who made it his top priority to establish Hannah's movements after 7pm on Christmas Eve. There have been no clear sightings of her on Christmas Day itself, although she'd spoken to family members and friends on the telephone. Cunningham said, This is a full-scale investigation. We'll visit every flat within the block at Sutra Place, and a full forensics capture from within the flat will be conducted as well. He also tried to reassure residents that everything was being done to catch their neighbour's killer and that extra police patrols were taking place in the area. The murder, as so often, did of course affect the community more widely. I recall a number of years ago watching the Mighty League United play Ipswich in the midst of the Steve Wright murders, when a person from the church came on the pitch at half-time with a microphone to offer words of comfort to the local community. In this case, the Reverend of Cranhills Parish Church, Muriel Pearson, tried to offer supportive words to locals, whilst also trying to convince people that the incident had been a a one-off. She said, This is a tragedy, and one that could have happened in any part of the city, but the tragedy is that it happened in our part of the city. It will affect us people and make people feel afraid. It also highlights the vulnerability of folk who live on their own. I think it's easy when something like this happens to say it is one community's problem, but it's a problem for all of us. The fact Scotland has more violent crime than any other country in Europe gives everybody pause for thought. The message behind these words was clear. Years have been spent battling to escape the smack city labelling of the area, but locals now felt like their patch had once again descended into the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. Coupled with this, though, was the even more pressing threat that a killer stake Cranhill, and one capable of extreme and shocking brutality, which had left the area stunned. On the 31st of December, Hannah's family spoke of their devastation that her murder had created. Hugh, another of Hannah's brothers, told the BBC how bewildered the whole episode had made him, saying, I just feel terrible. There's nothing you can do about it, is there? I don't know what's happened. Just hope they get whoever has done it. We just thought she'd fallen asleep and never woke up. That's what we thought. Tellingly, he added that Hannah would never have let anyone into her flat that she didn't know. She apparently always looked through the spy hole before admitting entrance. Hannah's sister-in-law, Jenny, said, It just didn't sink in. I couldn't believe it. Just devastated. To think you'll never see her again. I spoke to her on Christmas Day and she was fine. It's totally shocking. 
she was the most genuine person I ever met. In the meantime, police were concentrating their efforts in speaking with Hannah's neighbours as they tried to clarify and piece together the last moments of her life. They believed that it was likely that the killer was known to Hannah and that when they fled the flat they must have been heavily bloodstained. Such was the ferocity of the attack. They soon established that the last sighting of Hannah had been just before Christmas when she had, despite the bad weather, visited the Cranhill Post Office where she was a popular figure. The postmaster said, I couldn't believe it when I heard it was Mrs Smith. She'd been coming in here for about 20 years and she was always so pleasant. She'd always speak to you and we were just saying to her how good it was that she managed to get to the shop in this terrible weather. She was quite frail and would not have harmed anyone. Detective Cunningham, despite being unable to ascertain an early motive for the murder, said he was pleased with the response from the public. He would soon be more than pleased when, having spoken to one neighbour, John Farrell, police were suddenly equipped with a possible person of interest. John had told them that on Christmas night, a woman called Amanda Nickel had knocked at his flat to ask if she could borrow some money. Knowing that she would want the money for drugs, John said no and dismissed her from his doorstep. He then watched her approach Hannah's flat where she was let in. The timing of Amanda Nichols' approach to Hannah's flat appeared to match with the approximate time that Hannah had been murdered. And when police examined her background, their suspicions would be increased further. 28-year-old Amanda Nichols was a known drug addict living in the Lamhill area of Glasgow and was often seen scrounging for money to fund her drugs habit. Police arrested her in connection with the murder, as well as charges of theft, as items had been stolen from the flat, on Thursday the 31st of December, almost a week after the murder. Little time was wasted in bringing her before the courts, and on Saturday the 2nd of January, she appeared before Glasgow's Sheriff Court in connection with both murder and theft charges, where she offered no plea, before being remanded in custody and committed for further examination in relation to Hannah's murder. The fact that a woman had been arrested for the murder generated further shockwaves in Glasgow. Why is it, do you think, that many people consider a violent crime carried out by a woman so shocking? And violent the crime had been, make no mistake. It was now common knowledge that Hannah had been stabbed upwards of 40 times and had been slit twice across the throat. As police continued to look into the likelihood of Nicole's involvement in the murder, they quickly uncovered two hugely significant facts, one of which could link to Nicole to a possible motive for the killing. Firstly, it was realised that Nicole's dad had lived in the same apartment block as Hannah, so it would have been very plausible on that Christmas day she was at the location. Secondly, and significantly, it was understood that Hannah Smith had held Nicole responsible for her daughter's drug-related death back in 2003. Hannah's daughter Tracy and Nicole had been friends prior to Tracy's death. And ever since that time, Hannah had made it clear that she found Nicole to be responsible. Police made Hannah's relatives aware of the arrest and set about preparing a full report to be submitted to the Procurator Fiscal. Under interview, Nicole appeared to have little in the way of defence, merely apportioning blame elsewhere, with the rather vague claim that two men were responsible for the murder. 
During a preliminary hearing in July 2010 at Glasgow's High Court, Nicole's QC entered not guilty pleas on her behalf. As well as being accused of forcing her way into Hannah's home and killing her, she was also suspected of stealing cigarettes, cash, a set of keys and a knife from the flat, the two latter items she allegedly later hid within Cranhill Park. Nichols QC requested a further preliminary hearing as defence inquiries continued, to which the judge agreed, adjourning the case until the following month. Nichols QC must have been desperately hoping he could uncover as many mitigating factors as possible before her trial. And certainly she appeared unable to offer any plausible theory into who else may have killed Hannah. On the 1st of September, her defence advocate once more entered not guilty pleas, ensuring that a trial would be required. Eventually, however, Amanda Nicol, now fully aware that her best option was to plead guilty to the offences in the hope of a reduced sentence, did exactly this at a hearing on the 18th of February 2011. The family of Hannah Smith would at least be spared the duration of a trial, but they would still encounter the awful details of exactly what had happened to her. The court heard that despite being fully aware that Hannah blamed her for her daughter's death, she still visited Hannah occasionally in the hope that she could borrow some money. It was Nicole's position that after 10pm on the night of the murder, she visited her dad, before deciding to also visit Hannah as they lived in the same block. Nicole claimed that Hannah demanded that she leave the flat, having initially allowed her in. She stated that Hannah repeatedly demanded that she leave her house, screaming at her that she was nothing but a junkie. Nicola then grabbed a knife from the kitchen and slit Hannah's throat. The prosecutor told the court, The accused states that the deceased continued to scream at her before falling to the floor. She then slit the deceased's throat for a second time and after some prompting, accepted that she also stabbed Hannah Smith repeatedly on the chest and throat area. Nicola attributed these horrific actions to anger from the exchange and related to the fact that Hannah Smith blamed her for her daughter's death. Nicole then callously left the flat, leaving Hannah lying on the floor in blood and locked the door with a key she had taken. The court heard that when police arrested Nicole, she was found to have Hannah's blood on her clothing and trainers. And details of the post-mortem, and details of the post-mortem revealed that Hannah had suffered an astonishing 45 stab wounds, the largest being slits under her throat, which were the cause of death. The prosecutor said, It's no exaggeration to describe the injuries as illustrative of a frenzied attack, which must have continued well after the victim had been immobilised, and even beyond the point at which she was clearly dead. The defending QC told how Nicole had turned to drink and drugs at an early age after falling pregnant at just 15. He said, She has said she cannot see any proper punishment for the offence other than her own life being taken. This is a tragic case primarily for Hannah Smith and her family. I do not seek to equate the two. But it is also very tragic for Amanda Nicole. The saddest thing is that however many years she'll spend in Court and Bell Prison, she will find herself perhaps in the safest surroundings she has ever had. He explained how Nicole had a transient and chaotic lifestyle, the ones we so often hear about in heavy drugs users. Several spells in hospital led to her two children being taken into care. 
and she was also victimised in Cranhill by local gangs and drug stealers after a heroin habit led to her petty stealing and she got into hefty debt. She was attacked by a gang who attacked her head with a hammer and she was left for dead. Some years afterwards, she was stabbed in the head. These factors were clearly mitigating in the sense of her condition on the night she killed Hannah. Nonetheless, they could not excuse the guilt of the act that Nicole had committed, regardless of how traumatic a life she had lived. The terrifying details of what had occurred in Hannah's flat on Christmas Day of 2009 had been laid bare. It was March 2011 when the court came together to hear the sentence. A dozen of Hannah's family were present in court, including her son Andrew. The judge, addressing Nicole directly, told her, What you did is almost beyond belief. The brutality of events is quite extraordinary. Something must have happened that day to trigger this outburst of unparalleled violence. He then ordered that Amanda Nicole serve at least 16 years behind bars. There was an outburst of emotion from the court and as she was laid away to the cells to begin her sentence, there were cries of rotting hell from Hannah's family. And Hannah's sister Marion afterwards told reporters that the family was satisfied with the sentence but hoped she would never be released. She also quashed Nicole's claims that her chaotic upbringing had been a contributory factor in Hannah's murder, saying, The lies she told are disgraceful. We've all had hard lives and never thought about doing what she did. She's blaming other people for how she turned out. It's rubbish. She should be locked up for the rest of her life. I wonder if this is a view that you share. Either way, whether or not this happens remains to be seen. Amanda Nicole's five and a half years of her sentence remaining, and so would be just 45 years old if she is indeed released then. So what do you make of what you've heard today? As so often on this podcast, I'm left shaking my head at yet another pointless death. What a way for Hannah to end her time on the planet. Murdered by someone she knew in her own home, and someone she already blamed for the tragic death of her daughter, yet another victim of drugs. As was Amanda Nicole. You may disagree, but I hope she's able to get away from drugs in prison, and is given the opportunity to rehabilitate but many would of course disagree. After all, why should she get a second chance when due to her actions, there are no second chances for Hannah Smith? Thank you for listening to this episode. To discuss this case or any other aspect of UK true crime, with lots of people you will never meet, whose views you will often find abhorrent, and he would like to argue with, then please join us at the Facebook group. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. So it's all for me for this week. Thanks again for taking the time to join me. And until we speak again next week, despite all the others, trust me, more than ever this week, I know. Please stay classy. Cheerio for now.